9.30 was packed out, 8 o'clock was pretty healthy, gave us space to have these two meetings, so I'm so thankful for all three services, and by the way, if you get a chance, I, meant, I failed to mention this in the first two services, you might want to just like take the long way around and just uh, take the long way home, remember that song? Uh, no one? Okay, so just go back here and uh, look at the back five acres, we got some movement happening there in the back five, you didn't know there's land back there, did you? Uh, a lot of the shrubs actually have been removed, so you can actually see through, which is pretty amazing. Uh, so I encourage you to do that, um, and you can just drive by and say, I see the future. So anyway, good stuff. Anyone? Amen? And then, yeah, all right. You'll see, you'll see. All right. All right, grab your Bible and turn with me to First Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2. You know, in life, um, it's critical to really know uh, and be rooted in your identity. Um, if you are not, uh, if you don't have a firm grasp of your identity and really being rooted in your identity, it can really drastically affect the way you view life, the way you live life, and really the trajectory of your life. Uh, you know, uh, there's a guy named Eric Erickson. He's a psychosocial development psychologist, and uh, he kind of... Uh, in his study, looks at the different stages from infancy to childhood to adolescence to young adulthood and on and on. And um, he, uh, in his study, kind of brings out something that probably we, it's not, it's natural for us to kind of understand this, that uh, people who form strong personal identities during their adolescence are much more better equipped and capable to have intimate relationships in their adulthood. And again, that's probably not shocking to us to hear that coming out of the study. Because again, understanding your identity, who you are, and for us, we'd say whose we are, is so important to the way that we do life. I've shared before a couple of weeks ago that I just recently watched Chariots of Fire, and you have that Harold Abrahams and Eric Liddell, those two figures, one running and racing, trying to achieve something to make himself feel like he belongs, trying to gain his identity really through his achievement. And then another one, Eric who the famous line says, God made me fast and when I run, I feel his pleasure. So he's secure in his identity and he's running free. He doesn't need it, able to let go of it, in fact. Um, and both of them actually, when they win, it's amazing how they respond. Uh, one of them isn't even able to celebrate it. The other one is. And so again, this idea of it's so critical to really have a firm grasp of your identity and there's so much confusion when identity comes up in our culture today, right? Today's culture wants to, uh, they, they, they seek to define their own identity, right? Rather than turning to the creator who created them and seeking to understand his unique design for them and for life. And so this is not only true for our individual identity, but I would say for our corporate identity. It's important for us to understand who we are corporately in order for us to understand how we are to do church. See, the gospel, friends, doesn't just bring about individual life. It brings about corporate life. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, we saw that we are born again from an imperishable seed, and that is the word of God. So those who are Christians have come from death to life. And so there's spiritual life 
new individual life, but the gospel doesn't just make that life. The gospel makes corporate life, the church. And the text that we're going to look at today is going to speak to this body, this people that God's word and his truth creates. And there's a specific design. And again, I think many churches don't really understand their identity. And that's why you see some churches go astray from the truth. And for us to truly understand, you know, what our identity is, again, shapes the way we view us as a church and the way that we do church. So we go to the source, God's word, to seek to understand what our identity is. And so what is our identity? We're going to look at it here in 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, verses 4 through 12. We looked at gospel last week. Now we're going to look at community. We are now God's people and how the gospel shapes this community. So let's look beginning in verse 4. <clears throat> As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Behold, uh, beloved, excuse me, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. What I want us to focus on is verse 9. And I want us to, and we're going to hit the rest of it, but verse 9 is where I want to kind of be uh, fixed on. And I want to see those first three identity statements. And I think those identity statements say so much about, again, who we are as a church and how we're, we are to function. And we're going to see that each one of those three, uh, they show us how we relate to God and then how we re relate to one another. Okay? And so the first statement I want us to see is that we are a chosen race. We're a chosen race. And I want to take those two words uh, each one by one. So let's look at chosen. So again, some seek to choose their identity. Scripture says that we are chosen by God. Okay, who we are, we're, we're chosen by God. And this is so crucial to, again, to have a grasp of that truth, which is the gospel, that we've been chosen by God's mercy and grace, is so huge in how you view community and how you live out community. You see, our Christian community is rooted in that understanding of grace and mercy, that we were chosen by God, not because we were so lovely or so choice, but simply because he chose to set his love on us, not owing to anything that we did in and of ourselves. We did not deserve it, but solely owing to God's sovereign grace. 
That's what Ephesians 1 teaches us in verse 3. But blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. In other words, not only before you did anything to deserve it, before you were even born, before even the world was founded, he chose you. You should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. And I know in our human understanding, there's some mystery there. It's difficult to fully understand the idea that God predestined us. But what I want you to see here, what he is trying to lay down for us, you are a chosen race, is this idea that, man, it, it speaks to your security, your identity, your security in your identity, that you are chosen and beloved by God. This was a reminder to the Jews who read this letter, but it was a revolutionary idea to the Gentiles who got this. So to the Jew, they, they, they understood their entire race. They were chosen. This, 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 uh, you see this in Deuteronomy 7 when God's word says to his people, uh, to, the, to, to Israel, you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all people, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. Again, they understood it's not because we were, we were great, but only because God chose us. He chose to set his love on us. And so for the Gentile, again, it was revolutionary. Look at verse 10. He says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You see, because of the mercy we've received, we can now be God's people. And again, it secures our identity. This is what he's saying about Jesus in verses 4 through 6 when he says Jesus was the living stone that was rejected. But in the sight of God, he is chosen and precious. And so we, too, are living stones. We come to him as living stones in him. We all are chosen and precious. You see, you're freed from trying to earn something from God, earn your approval, earn your identity, but to rest in the fact that you, in the sight of God, even though the world may reject you, you are chosen and precious. And again, that means all of us. That speaks to us as a community, the way you view one another. Man, you are chosen by God. You are precious in his sight. Again, Philippians 2, that I, I put you before myself. I count your interest before my own because of the gospel, because of what God has done for me. I know, and not just me, for you. And so, friends, we are chosen, and we are a chosen race. So this points us back to Abraham. Remember God's promise to Abraham. I'm going to make you a great nation, give you many descendants, and then through you, speaking of the ultimate descendant, Jesus, my blessing will extend to all the families of the earth. So God, friend, through the offspring of Abraham, which is Jesus, is creating a new race 
made up of people from all families of the earth, from people from all nations. They're coming together and God through Christ is creating a new race. And this is Ephesians 2, right? That God has brought down the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile and the two mortal enemies have become one new man. They become fellow citizens, members of the household of God, and they make up together the temple of God. That's what Peter says here. You are a spiritual house. You are the bricks, if you will, dependent on one another. You are family. You are a chosen race. All right? And so, friend, this is why, you know, many times, we, you know, we hear, what is the, well, the, the church's role in racial reconciliation? Now, there's many things we can be involved in, but the one thing that we've got to not ever stray from is preaching this gospel. This gospel tears down dividing walls. And that's what we want to be about. When Jew and Gentile and people from all different backgrounds come to Christ, something drastic happens. They become one. And you become grafted in to the family of God. All right? It's adoption. You don't deserve it. It's something that God chose. You've grafted in. Someone said when you've been justified, you've been familified, right? When you become a Christian, you immediately get grafted into the family of God. So we're to see each other this way. Look at the way Jesus viewed family. When Jesus was told in Matthew 12 that his mother and brothers were outside, he said, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. In other words, the church, the church, this is my family. What Jesus is teaching is there's something more intimate, more abiding, more deeper than even your earthly family. And that is the church. That's what the church is to be. And so when Jesus was dying on the cross in John 19, he saw his beloved disciple John and he saw his mother Mary. And he says John to John, behold your mother. And to Mary he says, behold your son. And the scripture says from that hour, from that moment, John took Mary home to be, as it were, his mom, to take care of her, to provide for her. So what he's doing, even in the cross, is saying what I am accomplishing through my death, through my resurrection, is I am forming a new people, and you're to see each other as family. Family don't give up on each other. Family don't quit on each other. Family are there. They show up for one another. And that's what we're, we are. We're a chosen race. Secondly, you are a royal priesthood. Again, this speaks to our relation with God and our relation with one another. All right? It's crucial to understand what Peter is doing here by quoting, by referencing Exodus 19 here. That's what he's doing, by the way, here in 1 Peter 2. In Exodus 19, this is what it says, uh, verse uh, 15, 5 and 6, sorry. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant... You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me, here it is, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Uh, these are the words that you shall speak to the people uh, of Israel. And so this is when God was making this covenant with Israel. God had declared that he had redeemed them out of the slavery of Egypt, that he'd 
carried them on the wings of eagles to Mount Sinai, and he's declaring that you are my distinct people, from, distinct from all the peoples of the earth, okay? And he's saying, the point is that Israel now has such a close fellowship with God that their fellowship with God is, if you will, it was a priestly one. God dwelt in their presence, and they could draw near to him, all right? And what Peter is doing here is he's taking that passage that was given at the covenant to Israel and he's applying it to the church. And this is why 1 Peter 2 verse 4 says, as you come to him. Friends, in the church, we, because of the blood of Christ, we can boldly approach the throne of God. This is what we learned uh, in Hebrews chapter 4, remember, since then we have a great high priest, that's Jesus, who passed through the heavens. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may have mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Because of the blood of Christ, his work on the cross, friend, you don't have to pray or ask, ask uh, you know, go to confession to a priest or go pray to a priest or pray to a saint. You can directly go to the Father in the name of the Son, in the name of Jesus. You can go to him. You can boldly approach when we are weak, the throne of grace to find help in a time of need. You know, I'm reminded of a very uh, interesting and unique experience that I, I had once when um, I was on staff at Prestonwood in the late 90s, and then I went to the North American Mission Board for a time. I was working in collegiate evangelism and was traveling and preaching. And uh, North American Mission Board, it's a part of the uh, SBC, but they uh, were putting on this uh, conference um, for young adults, and they brought in different speakers. Uh, and one of the speakers that they acquired was Jim Caviezel, uh, who, uh, if you know Jim Caviezel, he played the part of Jesus in The Passion of the Christ, uh, the Mel Gibson movie. And they secured him to speak in, like a couple of months before The Passion was released. And he was going to speak, and everyone at the conference was going to get to watch a, uh, you know, a pre-release showing of, of The Passion. And so... Um, some of the, 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 the leaders of the conference, the hosts, were started to get nervous, thinking about, wait a minute, what are we doing? We just asked him to speak, and we know he's Catholic, and so what kind of theology is he going to be bringing forth? And so they made an uh, audible and decided to pull it from him, and they said, we'll just interview him. Well, this didn't sit well with, with Jim, and he was kind of, he felt like, you know, shunned, and he didn't like that, and so uh, they had to really work, work hard to bring him down so that he would accept uh, to be interviewed, and, and they weren't trying to smooth it over, and so they said, what are we going to do? Well, we need somebody to, like, escort them back to the airport, try to smooth it over, and so they put their heads together, and they go, Afshin, he's the guy. <laughs> and so they asked me if I would escort Jim Caviezel back to the airport and just kind of smooth things over, and, you know, and they go, don't talk theology, and I'm like, okay, all right, thanks for that, right? And so, uh, so random, I, I drive down to a hotel in Dallas and park my car, go into the lobby, and here comes Jim Caviezel. He's got his hat on and glasses, so he's not recognized. And him and I, we, we get in a limo, and just the two of us in the back of a limo drive. And the funny thing, the driver went to the wrong airport, went to Love Field before he figured it out, went to 
DFW after that. So literally an hour and a half, I'm with Jim Caviezel in the limo. And I'm told not to talk theology with him, right? And he gets in. First thing he says is, all right, what's the deal? I don't worship Mary. Why, why are y'all so worried? You know, uh, you know what's the, And I'm like, oh, okay. And we talked theology for an hour and a half, all right? And, I, and, I, and he's like, I don't, do you understand why we pray to Mary? I go, <clears throat> frankly, no. And then so then I, I went right here. I started unpacking the scriptures in Hebrews and here in 1 Peter that we're a royal priesthood. That we don't have to go to a, a, an earthly priest to find grace. That we can go directly to the throne of grace because of the blood of Christ. And we're talking through it. And it was just surreal. I'm like... I can't believe I'm in the back of a limo with the guy who played Jesus, all right? And we're debating the role of Jesus and what Jesus accomplished for us. I go, this is crazy. You can't make this up. And we hit it off, and he actually wrote down his number and gave it to me. He goes, if you're ever in L.A., look me up. And he goes, man, you're a good dude. And before he left, he goes, you know what? You should be a priest, you know? And I'm like, I'm like, that's what I'm trying to tell you, Jim. I am a priest, all right? That's what you can be too, right? But anyways, this is what Christ is, has won for us. And so he says in 1 Peter 2, 5, because we are a holy priesthood, we offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. We don't go with animal sacrifices trying to pay for our sins. Jesus paid for our sins. We come, as Romans 12, 1 says, and we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. That means Continue living, dying, laying your life down to his will, to his rule in your life. This is your spiritual act of worship. But here's what I want you to see. This priesthood is not meant to be independent. Let me explain. Because some people might hear what I just was telling Jim Caviezel and what the scripture is telling us. And we might go, well, man, I, I am a, I'm a priest. I don't need church. And you may go to that extreme. I don't need anybody else. I just be a solo Christian. I can go directly to God, right? Listen, this is it's very important for you to catch this. This is being spoken to the corporate community. He's saying you corporately are a royal priesthood. Your priesthood is not meant to be understood in isolation, separate from the community. Your priesthood is meant to be understood as uh, in the context of community, working to build one another up. Think of the high priest in the Old Testament. We learn about this in Hebrews a lot. Remember, he would go into the Holy of Holies and offer a sacrifice so that the people could draw near to God, right? And so think of that now in the church. We don't need to offer a sacrifice again for sin because Jesus has done that. But as a holy, uh, excuse me, a royal priesthood, we are to be priests, if you will, in the context of community, supporting one another, going to God on behalf of one another and praying for one another. Going, remember, a priest was kind of a go-between. Going from God to one another, speaking truth and building one another up. You see this, this speaking of acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God, in Hebrews 13, verse 15 and 16. Look what it says. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. So I'm going to him, I'm praying, and then look, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. In other words, you go to God, you go to one another. 
We are a royal priesthood. We need this kind of authentic community. But friends, look at me here. So often, we want community in the church. We, we, we come to church. We even know we need community. But if we're honest, the kind of community we want is the community on our terms. Let me, let me explain it. I want the community to be people I like or people who are like me, right? Or people who uh, give me things maybe, but I, they don't really want, need a lot from me. I don't talk to me about like the hurting and the needy. Once that, uh, then I don't want that community. If I have to bear burden and all that, friends, that is not the community that is being displayed for us in Scripture. It's rather a community, a royal priesthood, where we are there, people from different backgrounds, people who maybe don't look like you, they're not like you, maybe even people you don't like, people who are hurting and needy. And we come together as one, and we hold each other up strong. We need each other. The story of the Good Samaritan, when the man was beaten and left for dead, and I think it's no mistake that Jesus says, a priest, the one who was meant to go care. And that's what a, a priest to shepherd. Instead, he passes by on the other side, getting to his next assignment. Levi comes in behind him, passes by, and the Samaritan's the one that goes across, takes care of him, binds up his wounds, pays for his stay at the inn. And he's saying, that's the kind of fellowship I want you to have in the church, where you are holding each other strong in your weakness. I don't have time for this right now. I mean, um, it's a, uh, but if I could, I would tell you the whole thing. But man, uh, I, I've been going through a very difficult season right now in my life. Uh, I, um, you know, just to be honest, just kind of re-entry from being, oh, from some time away has been kind of rocky for me. Um, some spiritual battles, some just inner turmoil that's happening. I'm going to make it. I'm going to be fine. But I ask you to pray for me. But I want you to know in the midst of this, this has been a hard week, but it's been a hard year and a half. And uh, I, I was kind of in a dark place just going, man, I'm not, I'm not going to make it through this even. And just in my weakness, turn into God and then turn into to the community. And so I, I, I didn't have a sermon in me. I just be honest, I wasn't ready. I didn't think I was going to preach. Last night, I didn't know. So Arch, I see you in the back there, my brother. I had him on standby, ready to preach. And, uh, but what I did was, was in the midst of my weakness, I called three brothers. I called Arch. I called Matt Morrison, Matt Moore. I go, we all come to the church. They came to the church. I go, I just need you around me, company. And I got the outline. I got the text. I got the ideas. But I need some wisdom and some thoughts, too. Just help me get this on paper. And we, like, did, worked on this sermon together. All right? And literally, what I'm preaching, like, I was experiencing in that moment. That in our weakness, we need one another to hold each other strong. Because, friend, if you're saying, man, I don't want that kind of community. I want to I pull back. I don't want to. Ah, that's just, that's too getting my hands dirty. That's too uh, weighty. Listen, 2 Corinthians 1 says that the comfort that you receive and the affliction that you go through is, has a purpose. It's meant to be so that you can comfort others when they go through affliction. So friend, you come 
You pour yourself out. A day is coming. Look at me. A, a dark day is coming when you're going to be in need. And that's, I'm just telling you, if you don't have this in community, I just don't know how you navigate life. That's what the church is meant to be. The ultimate community. And that's what the world desperately needs. So, man, we are a chosen race, a holy pre uh, royal priesthood, and then a holy nation, finally. Again, speaking to our relationship with God and one another, we are holy, okay? That means we are set apart. The word holy, friend, in case you have other thoughts, means to be set apart, distinct from the world. You are set apart to God, and you are meant to reflect God and look different than the world. Friend, the world ought to look at you, look at the church, and they ought to see something different. But sadly, so many times, Christians, what our struggle is, is we want to look like the world. We don't like being outcast, being ostracized, not looking like the world. And so we want to look like the world, and we might kind of spiritualize it and say, well, I'm doing it in an effort to try to win the world to Christ. But really what we want is we, we, we don't like looking different. We want to look like the world. And man, he's saying, no, no, no. I've called you out of the world so that you would look different, that you would display the kingdom. You've been called out of the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of his beloved son, Colossians teaches. You, First Peter 2, have been called into his marvelous light. You are to be holy. Our holiness our Christ-likeness comes about first and foremost. It's rooted in our union with Christ. Colossians 1.21 says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So you are in Christ, meaning the work of Christ is perfect life, death, and resurrection. When you believe in Jesus, I preach this all the time, your sins aren't only forgiven you, his righteousness is credited to you. So in Christ, you are holy. You are righteous. But then hear, hear me, that holiness was meant to be lived out in community, meaning for the sake of one another, we pursue holiness together. I love this text in 2 Timothy 2.22. Look what it says. Flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. We got that, right? Now look what it says. Along with, not in isolation, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Earlier in 1 Peter, he says this, that as Christ is holy, you ought to pursue holiness in your conduct <clears throat> together. As one. So last week we talked about knowledge growing with love and discernment. If I were to keep reading in that passage in Philippians, it says, so that we would be pure and blameless at the day of Christ. In other words, we're to, we're to speak truth, but with love and discernment to spur each other to holiness. Let me say it this way. On Twitter, <clears throat> are you with me? On Twitter, people who have no relational equity with each other just totally slam one and call each other out. That's what Twitter is. That's not community. In the church, you have built up relational trust and relational 
equity with one another because you have done life together. You have confessed your sins. You've borne your soul with one another. James 5.16 says, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. 1 John says, if we walk in the light, not in the dark, in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And if we say we do not sin, we lie and the truth is not in us. So that fellowship, when you're walking in the light, you're confessing sin, you're confessing fear and hurt and dismay and all of it. When you do that, then you have the capital to be able to go up to a brother or sister and say, brother, I'm concerned about what I see in your life. And I need you to know, I'm calling you out on this because I love you. You see, this is what we are to be about. And this is God's intent for the life of the church. And man, I'll say one last thing, not even in the church, and this will segue for next week, but also for the sake, holiness, we pursue it together for the sake of those on the outside. And that's that text in 11 and 12. Look at 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. Again, we don't belong here, okay? Our kingdom is in, uh, is in heaven. We are to be distinct from the world, right? To abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. That means even the world that ridicules you and maligns you for the way you live your life, that when their life crumbles, they might remember on the day of visitation, when the Spirit comes to them, what will be brought to their mind is the way you conducted yourself and the holiness you were pursuing. And they may call you and say, man, tell me, Tell me more. And that's our hope. And so, friends, we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. This is the people God is creating for his own possession. And I think in all three of those, you see gospel community mission. So gospel, you are a chosen race. That's all the gospel, right? Man, we are chosen not by our merit, but by what God has done for us in Christ. We are to reflect that to the world. You are a royal priesthood. That's community that we go to God. We are a go-between, if you will, for one another to God. We are holding each other up. And then we are a holy nation. We're to be distinct from the world so that the world would see Christ in us. And I pray that we would reflect this identity more and more, more and more, more and more as a church. Let's pray.